Welcome back to the 171st episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. Today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including some of the battles that were going on between Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan when it came to their battle for the speakership, even though Scalise seems to have come out on top. Also, a different article talking about why Brian Donald should actually be the candidate. And our last one is about cooperatives and one in Finland that could lead an example for companies here in the U.S. And of course, we'll end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. What is the proper path forward for the Republican Party? Is it a return towards establishment politics as normal or a turn towards MAGAism? Which do you think is the proper path? Tell me what you think. I want to know. Please, please throw it in the comment section because this battle between Scalise and Jordan kind of emphasizes that. And we've seen Scalise come out on top. It's, which it's kind of a turn towards the establishment. People who have been there for a long time who have connections across the aisle. But do you think that is the right turn? Let's hear it down there, and let's jump to our first story. It comes from The Daily Beast. The diciest thing Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan are battling over. And let's be clear, this is a little bit out of date because the elections, or at least the internal elections for the, or the internal secret ballot, excuse me, for the Republican Party, has already happened. So we already believe that Steve Scalise will be going to the, or at least be nominated on the floor. We don't know if he has the 218 necessary actually to be brought into the speaker position, but right now it looks like Scalise is going to be the guy for the Republican Party. But there is still an important conflict, or at least understanding the different perspectives that they want to approach this job or how they view things is still very important because it actually helps us define where the rest of the party who cast the secret ballots is and what they see that is valuable about Scalise, what they like about Scalise more than what they like about Jordan. So we can actually use this differential that they're pointing out between the two candidates to make a deeper or more broad analysis of the Republican Party. Even though each person's motivations are separate for voting for Scalise, it probably falls along some of the lines that they highlight here. Quote, For years, a rotating cast of House GOP leaders have shared a fatal flaw, an inclination to only address their most immediate problems. In January, Rep. Kevin McCarthy won the Speaker's gavel partially through this approach. In order to win over conservative detractors, he acquiesced to their demands to make it easier to remove him, creating a problem he knew he'd face one day. Sure enough, 10 months later, those McCarthy critics took advantage of the change to take him out. But as Republicans battle over who will be their next speaker, Majority Leader Steve Scalise or Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan or perhaps someone else, their problems are converging all at once. And to solve one problem, they need to address all of them. And it's actually an interesting one because McCarthy was floated again by some people if they couldn't come to a consensus between Jordan and Scalise. And as the next article points out, there are other candidates that could very well step into the role. I mean, McHenry could still be on the table. Like I said, they nominated Scalise, or at least they had the secret ballot that determined he would be the candidate. 
But if he can't come out on top, if he can't get the 218, then they may have to do a whole new process internally. They may have to have new people come forward because some people are still saying that they're going to vote for Jordan, even though the secret ballot came out as Scalise being the person that they're going to put forward as a party as a whole. So if there's still people that are going to vote for Jordan, they're probably not even going to bring up the idea on the floor at all. They're not going to risk looking you know, foolish or humiliated like they did last time when it took 15 rounds of voting to get McCarthy in. I don't think they want to portray themselves like that again because it's just going to appear like more chaos over the fact that, I mean, look, they just expelled or they just vacated the chair seat. Eight people in the Republican Party caused that. The picture already is Republicans are playing around. They are being goofy. They're not being serious. They're not trying to govern. So I highly doubt that the Republican, at least the majority of the Republican Party, wants to send that message again when they nominate somebody internally and then they can't even get him to be the speaker when they bring it up on the floor. So I don't think they'll bring it to the floor until they have the votes. But if they don't have the votes behind the scenes, there may have to be another round of secret ballot voting, which still doesn't necessarily look good for them, but it's better than bringing a motion on the floor and then having it shut down or fail because just eight people or even, I believe, five people would be enough to that on your side. They were just like, nah, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to do that one. So it's going to be an interesting one going forward. But let's actually talk about what the battle or what the difference between Jordan and Scalise actually is and how it will kind of give us a glimpse into the minds of the people who are currently in the House Republican caucus. Quote, Jordan and Scalise both spent the weekend pounding the phones, talking to members in a fine tu- and fine-tuning their pitches. Sources from both camps projected callous optimism to the Daily Beast. Both sides seem to think it's a close race, with a candidate forum scheduled for Tuesday night that could be the deciding factor. With 221 Republicans in the conference, the winning candidate needs 111 votes, and that's internally within the Republican caucus, to receive the internal nomination. But even though Republicans said they'd like the they'd like to go to the floor by Wednesday to elect the new speaker. Those sources from both Scalise and Jordan camps express concern about doing so before it's clear anyone has enough votes to win. Roughly 217 Republican votes, depending on how many members actually show up. And that's when they take it to the floor. That's how many people they would actually need to win. So, And so we know that Jordan has been really locking up the Freedom Caucus voters. He's been talking a lot more about cultural issues, the government incursion on private citizens' lives, or the weaponization of government. That's been a large part of his Judiciary Committee kind of hearings. He's also very fiscally conservative. Guess who's also really fiscally conservative? Scalise. But he's also willing to work across the aisle. He's willing, and he's built the connections over his years of having a few Democrats in the back pocket that maybe he could talk to that are maybe a little bit more moderate, who may be in districts that are a little bit tight for them, that they could have a tight race with a Republican. So these are the two different approaches going forward. And the reason that last quote is important because it shows that both sides are confident because there is a good amount 
of both of these sentiments that the government's being weaponized, but also we need to moderate a little bit. We need to be able to work with Democrats in order to actually get things done. Both of those perspectives are prominent. They have their advocates within the party. So I don't necessarily think that it's going to be as easy as people think it's going to be. Because, yes, they put Scalise forward, but if they can't get that 217, then it doesn't matter if their internal numbers come out in a way where, oh, yeah, he, he wins out of the 221 members, so that means all you have to get is 111 votes. Great. Guess what? You still need almost the entire caucus when going to the floor. So this is not as straightforward as the Republicans have been, I don't want to say claiming it is, because they're kind of expecting that, oh, okay, we're going to do this internal caucus vote, and then people are going to respect the results. No, they're not going to respect the results. If they have a good reason that they didn't vote for him in the internal poll and they don't believe that he's the man for the job, they're not going to just change their mind just because somebody said, oh, yeah, we're agreeing to this in the caucus process. No, that's not how it works. Uh, even though maybe in an ideal party politics world, people would just fall in line, the Republicans are not, they are not that unified, and they are not that willing to just fall in line. So I don't know where this idea that, oh, yeah, once we do this internal vote, it will solve everything. Now, let's be clear, not everybody was saying that. A lot of the pundits weren't saying that, but some Republicans were under that impression that, oh, yes, once this uh, this internal caucus goes through, all our problems will be solved. We'll have the next nominee, and we can get them to the floor and get them in. So what has this time without a speaker been like? What is the actual drama or the problem with not having a speaker there in the office? Quote, without a speaker, the House also can't continue working on spending bills. And with just 39 days until government funding runs out, and this was reported on Monday, so by the time I'm recording this, I believe it is actually 36 days until the government runs out of funding. Republicans were hoping to use this time to pass appropriation bills to put them in a better negotiating stance with the Democratic Senate, which is on recess until October 16th. This is where the problems start getting real for Scalise and Jordan. McCarthy was able to forestall the government shutdown by arguing to his GOP colleagues that a 47-day stopgap funding measure made sense. It would allow them to finish their work on appropriations bills. Ultimately, that decision was the catalyst for him losing his job. But the truth is, the bills House Republicans are passing aren't going to become law anyway. The House GOP has ignored the spending levels McCarthy agreed to earlier in the year with President Joe Biden, and senators on both parties have made it clear that they will not swallow this blithe fiction that McCarthy and other Republican leaders have been telling the members, end quote. So, this time without a speaker has been mighty fun. And of course, we are approaching a cliff there's always a cliff, right? There's always a need to be expedient. There's always a ticking time clock. It really does feel like the bomb that goes underneath the table in the movie that the viewer knows about, but the people don't. I, I don't remember the author or the screenwriter who actually came up with the principle, but the idea is, hey, show the viewer that there's a bomb that nobody knows about or there's some sort of t ticking time clock to add a little bit of tension, to make it a little bit more dramatic, to hold the viewer's attention in the movie or you know, TV show. 
But now I feel like that's what politics is becoming too. There's always another crisis that needs to be addressed or at least a big major problem that is on the horizon. There's always that ticking time clock. Oh, we got 36 more days. Oh, we got 35 more days. Oh, there we go. Now we're down to 25. We better get this solved. And then at the last minute with the pressure rising and the media covering it like crazy and drumming up people to be really passionate about it, everything just gets through and not many changes are are made at the end. They just have a continuing resolution that keeps on rolling at current limits. And to be honest, I'm, I'm not opposed to a CR where things stay relatively the same. There are good reasons to do that. I'm not a a deficit hawk overall where every single time that something comes up, we have to cut the deficit. No, you can do these sort of things over time. You can cut certain programs, certain agencies that aren't necessarily as useful. But the idea that, oh, well, okay, this is the only solution we can get done in time, and it's a big crisis until that moment. That's what frustrates me about it. Because it's like, no, just put in the time ahead of time if you can. If you can really sit down and have these conversations and do the work that you're there supposed to be doing, get her done. Now, it is a little bit more difficult when there's no speaker in the House and there's no way to actually bring any sort of bills to the floor and vote on them. So, sure, I understand this one. But in the past, it just it seemed like fodder. It just seems like such BS. And I feel like we're playing out a telenovela in Washington. And come on, guys, we're, we're better than this. I know everybody loves their soap operas, but come on. We could do a little bit better. You represent the greatest nation in the earth, and you represent the citizens of the greatest nation who come from all over some of the greatest states and counties and so on and so forth, depending on where you're from or depending when you're speaking that day, that's where you're going to say is, oh, yes, this county is the greatest county. But overall, America's pretty darn great, and there are a lot of great counties across it, and there are a lot of great people in those counties that you should be defending, protecting, and uh, putting forward their best interests. Let's put it that way. All right, let's jump to our second article that comes from the Washington Examiner. Why Brian Donalds should actually be the next speaker of the House. So this was an interesting one when I first saw it because he did get a few votes last time when the whole battle over the speaker was going on. He is a representative, I believe, from Florida. Yes, indeed. And he is a person who is not just from the public sector. He's worked in the private sector as well. But you know what? I'm kind of cutting into my first... um, a quote I have here, so I'll let the article give a little bit better of a more and a more concise background of Mr. Donald's quote. House Republicans are tasked with finding a new speaker of the House after Rep. Kevin McCarthy was ousted on October 3rd. As of now, two people are emerging as leading candidates. They replace McCarthy, Rep. Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. Both are fine candidates and both would do the job good, blah, blah, blah. However, if the GOP wants to make an impact, Rep. Brian Donalds should be the next speaker. Originally from Brooklyn, Donalds moved to Florida to attend college. Before entering politics, he was in the banking and financial industries and then served as the representative for Florida's 80th district in the State House of Representatives from 2016 to 2020 before being elected to Congress in 2021. Additionally, Donalds is part of the Freedom Caucus and a member of the Committee on Oversight and Accountability and the Committee on Financial Services, end quote. So he's been there for about, you know, two years at this point. 
He's part of the Freedom Caucus, so he kind of appeals to the MAGAs. He was a former private sector worker who was in finance, so understanding fiscal responsibility is a big part of his platform that can appeal to both the Freedom Caucus and the normal contingent of the majority. And he also, which is, you know, they're not small deals. He's on the Committee for Oversight and Accountability as well as the Financial Services Committee. So these aren't necessarily huge assignments because he's not leading them up, but still they show that he's trusted within the party, that they're willing to give him some big deals, that he's smart enough to take it on and handle it. They're not just throwing him bogus committee assignments. So I think that this is a, a good possibility. Now, with the you know some of the people that represent Florida being part of the issue, some people may be hesitant to just blankly say, oh yeah, another Florida man should be taking this over. Another Florida man who's also part of the Freedom Caucus. I mean, those, those variables have not led to uh, a good candidate, or at least a candidate who is keeping things you know locked up and not chaotic within the Republican Party, but I highly doubt he'll be like his colleague, colleague from, Cal, uh, from Florida, Mr. Matt Gates. So where, where is principles? Where does he stand on certain things? What would actually make him appealing to a Republican caucus? Quote, furthermore, he was also previously nominated for speaker and received 20 votes on two separate occasions during the speakers of the 118th Congress election in January 2023. Given that he has only been in Congress since 2021, it shows that Donalds has earned the respect of many and is considered a leader of the GOP in the House, which is another really good point that they're saying here, which is obviously there's enough people that believe within, at that point, it would have been, what, one and a half years since he would have gotten in, basically, because it was early 2023 when they were doing these elections. In that time, he's been able to gain a lot of support from people or at least enough faith in him that they would be willing to put him up to the most important job in for the caucus when they are in the majority. I mean, that does say a lot. And 20 is not a whole bunch of people, but 20 people in that short amount of time? I mean, Jordan got practically 100. Scalise got... Uh, I believe he got 118 or 120, if I'm not mistaken. But imagine what he got one. He ended up getting one fifth of what Jordan got. And let's just round it to 120 for Scalise. He ended up getting one sixth of what they got. And they've been there at least five times as long as him. Or in Jordan's case, I believe four times as long as him. Like, come on, that's actually very impressive. That shows that, yes, there is something about him that people are willing to rally around. And maybe having a different person than the tried and true leadership like Scalise or the really, really deeply in the Freedom Caucus, because he's the founder of it, Jim Jordan, Maybe this is a way forward that could be a little bit of a balance between the two. It also doesn't come with much baggage because he doesn't have he hasn't made many enemies either. He's obviously garnered some respect, but he hasn't had enough time to really make a whole lot of enemies. So maybe that could even be a benefit. Quote, if the GOP wants to usher in authentic, meaningful and positive change, Brian Donalds is the Republican to do it. And while he hasn't stated an interest or intention to run for the position, choosing him would go a long way in restoring the GOP to its former glory. He is everything any Republican could ever want in a politician. 
let alone Speaker of the House. I mean, that's that's some pretty high praise. I mean, obviously, National Review, or at least the writer of this, has their own vested interest in saying this. I'm not saying that, oh, they want him because they're going to give him a favor. No, obviously, they like him, so they're going to portray this as the, the best choice. They really want this to happen, so they're going to say, oh, yes, this is the smartest choice for the, the people in the GOP. This is exactly what they need to do. And the other reason that this article, or at least this author, really likes him is because he really stands up against some of the cultural issues, not just the fiscal issues. Quote, furthermore, and most importantly, he does not shy away from the virulent left's attacks on the nation's culture. He has shown that he is willing to stand up to the squad and socialist agitators such as Rep. Jayapal Fire Bowman from New York, a congressional representative who likes to preach hyperbolic hysteria and tries to bully conservatives in Congress. So, end quote. And so if this is the things that you like to hear and, you know, you kind of are liking this guy a little bit, throw your, throw your own hat in the ring, send a message up to your representative, tell them to be interested or at least put forward Brian Donalds if it goes to another sort of internal poll in order to nominate the speaker. I don't know if Scalise is going to be able to lock it up and considering that this is going to be going out on Friday, I'm recording it on Thursday, there's going to be a little bit of a lag. Some things could change over the weekend. Some more internal dynamics could happen. I'm recording this early Thursday, so even something later today could happen where Scalise comes out on top or something really early Friday before this podcast even comes out. They could confirm him late at night and then announce it Friday morning. So lots can change. But everything, if everything makes it through and nothing has changed by the time this comes out and you're passionate and you're listening, Throw a comment, a letter, an email to your representative and say, maybe consider not, if you have another person in mind, say consider them. This is also, it's not just the House caucuses election, because guess what? Guess who put all of those people there? You did. Your family did. Your local constituency did. So you should be able to voice your opinion. And maybe if you voice it in the right way, you're passionate enough and you give a really strong argument, maybe you can compel the hearts and minds of your representatives in Congress. More people need to do this. More people need to send in letters. More people need to actively try to be a part of our republic because that's how things need to operate and ensuring that your interests are actually served. You actually kind of have to participate more than just voting, more than just writing a tweet out there and you know agreeing with somebody. If you have a dissident opinion, throw it out there, cultivate some conversation, or at least get that opinion to your congressman or senator. All right, so let's jump to our final article that comes from the American Prospect. And yes, I know it's the American Prospect, but I was kind of goofy on that one. And they're talking about a cooperative in Finland. It's The article reads, The Little Co-op That Could. So this is an interesting one. When I first saw it, it was a bit of a longer one. It goes into the history of the co-op in Finland. It goes into how they restructured. It talks about whether it's applicable in America but I'll provide just the you know over the cursory overview very, very quickly, and then we'll have a discussion about whether this type of structure could actually work in America. Quote, the interesting thing about S Group, which is the name of the giant conglomerate that has a whole bunch of different co-op stores, and it is a co-op itself in the way that the corporation or the group is founded, quote, is that it's boring. Evan Carr told me, we are standing in an S-Mart, a mid-sized grocery store chain in the middle of downtown near the train station. 
Sure enough, it was completely unremarkable as a grocery store. Somewhat fancier than an Albertsons, but less fancy than a Whole Foods, with a large selection of all the usual foods, beverages, household goods, and so on. It was also packed with shoppers picking up things after the end of the working day. Carr, a tech worker who was born in America, who, who has lived in Finland for more than 20 years, pointed to various labels on the shelves for vegetarian, vegan, or, or organic items. You can request any item and get them stocked, he said. I've done it myself. The interesting thing about S-Mart and what brought me all the way to Finland is not that the blog standard grocery store, it's the parent entity, S-Group, a corporate network or cooperative network owned by its members and one of the biggest and most successful companies in Finland. S-Group has about 2.5 million members in a country of just 5.6 million inhabitants, representing 78% of Finnish households along with 41,000 employees, 100, sorry, 1,984 business locations, and an annual revenue of $13.5 billion last year. S-Group accounts for fully 47% of the Finnish grocery market, end quote. So that's actually, that's some pretty big numbers right there. I, I won't lie. Now, yes, the population of Finland is pretty low. I mean, how many do we have here in America? I believe last time that we talked about it, it was somewhere around 325, maybe 330 million people versus just 5.9 million overall. So yes, you know, the scale is different, and maybe that's why this cooperative network is able to work in Finland, where it might not work in America. Maybe it's the deep, deep-seated profit motive that is embedded in American culture that could also be part of something that would make it a little bit harder for a cooperative like this to succeed here in the States. But it is most definitely a very interesting way of going about things. So they elect people at the local board level who elect uh, heads of the certain corporations that then elect board members and executives for the S-Corp, the largest or the parent corporation overall. And it, it's very, very, I, I find it fascinating personally because I feel like it would take a lot of time. And if you go into a crisis, you need a crisis leader. And imagine a crisis happens when you're going through elections and you, you may have to rush it. You don't necessarily make it the best choice or I don't know, maybe that doesn't always happen. Maybe they have their like crisis leader. Maybe they have an addendum and they're like, okay, hey, this guy is who we call in in a crisis. We'll vote to enact Amendment 37D and he can come in or she can come in and fix everything very quickly. But the author goes on to compare this to the cooperative that we have or the largest one that we have here in America, which is REI. And yes, if you didn't know, REI is a cooperative. But there is a big difference here between REI and the way that S-Corp is not necessarily structured, but the way that things actually happen when all this voting goes down, when they're electing their executive board members, the turnover rate for S-Corp is around 25%, meaning that 25% on average is no longer in the same position or a similar position on the board whenever they do elections each year versus a practically, you know, 0.1 uh, or, you know, maybe 0% turnover rate with REI, the people that are executives at the top, they kind of either switch jobs or they stay locked into their jobs. So they're not, the voting just kind of stays the same. Even though people vote, nothing really changes. The status quo is, 
it stays exactly where it's at versus S Corp where there's new ideas, fresh people, which actually allows for more people to have a voice in how the company is operated, what they do in the future versus REI that seems to just stick with the, the same people at the top who have created an incentive structure to stay there and get their corporate benefits. So maybe if they were to try to implement it the way that S Corp has done or S Group has done, uh, maybe there would be you know a little bit of a, a power struggle. Maybe some people would not like how everything is structured and they would leave the board of REI. Maybe it's not even possible to structure it this way here in the United States because of all the other competitors and all the other suppliers who have a lot of market power. And then the consumer power is really dispersed because, like I said, there's lots of other competitors. So if a group like S Corp came in and started a supermarket and their prices were too high because they were trying to pay everybody in their group good wages because they're trying to give back to their members, then you know other people who are going to be like, no, I just need the cheapest lettuce I can get. They're going to go to places like Walmart, Target, or maybe even a local farmer market. So, you know, I, I think it is a little bit different. I think it would be hard to operate. But I've seen more conversation about these sort of co-op companies cropping up in America. I know there are a few smaller startups that I've read about over the years. So we'll see how this thing plays out going into the future. Maybe the finished model is something that could actually be used. I, I think it's a little bit harder to implement than people actually want to talk about considering this company has been around for practically 120 years at this point and it's it just started turning profitable about halfway through that tenure or at least profitable in the sense that they're not just breaking even and getting money back to their members no it's actually making extra profit that can use to invest and grow and so on and so forth so you know if it came into the american market i'd love to see how the market treats it or how other companies treat it within that market. All right, so let's jump to our final story that comes from the Daily Delight, which is an article from Laughing Squid. Adorable wolf pups try to take down a trail camera. So, you know, I believe it was two weeks ago, I did a story about a bear taking down a trail camera, and now a wolf's doing it too. They're, they're coming for the trail cams. They do not like them whatsoever. Uh, even the youngest among these cubs, they're not loving it at all. Quote, researchers at Voyager's Wolf Project in northwest Minnesota shared a first-look footage of three adorable wolf pups cavorting around until one mischievous cub decided to try to take down the trail cam that was there to document their movements. End quote. And this was not the first time that we've seen these little guys either. We actually have a little bit of docu- documentation about these little cubs. I actually did another daily delight about them. I believe that would have been almost a month ago. Quote, our first look at the pups of the Bug Creek Pack was in early August. The pups had only been walking on this earth for four, month at, four months at that point and were already exhibiting poor trail camera etiquette, end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute photos or videos from this article or read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, as well as Podvine. And with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die. <laughs>